Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. So this is a very important book as we, as we go through it. Um, it is a very difficult book to go through, so I'm so glad we have an opportunity to go through it together and learn the book of Hebrews together. We are in Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, we're in verses 14 through 16. And what we've been talking about throughout this entire time is a community, right? They are Jewish Christians. And at that time, the phrase Jewish Christian was in a lot of ways, an oxymoron, because if you were Jewish ethnically, religiously, your tribe, your family, everyone operated together as Jews. And what was happening was they were saying, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so although they were Jewish and most likely living in Jerusalem at the very center of Jewish thought and Jewish religion, they are actually trying to live a Christian life amongst their Jewish friends. They are living counterculturally. And in light of that, they are feeling socially ostracized. Their friends, their family, their tribe, they are now persecuting them, disregarding them. What we're going to talk about today is the, the sympathy of Jesus, how he understands us. And that is what the author felt like these people needed to know, that Jesus sympathizes you when you are feeling weak if you are feeling ostracized, if you are feeling as if you've been left out. The word sympathy, if you break the word down, sim, that first part, means together. The word pathos is emotion. Putting it together, it's the together emotion. It is when you get with your homeboys, your homegirls, your friends, and you tell them a story or you tell them something you're going through, and then in the midst of you telling them that, once you get to that breaking point, that point where you're waiting for them to give you feedback, they go, I know. Me too. I, it's same thing. I understand. It is that emotion that you are able not just to hear a person, but you can step into that emotion saying with that reality, I understand what you're going through. As human beings, God has designed us to be understood. He's made us to have somebody in your corner that isn't trying to figure you out, but gets you. And I wonder if there's anybody in this room that has ever had a moment where you've said to yourself, no one gets me. You know, I mean, I've got people around me, but no one really gets me. No one really understands me, what I'm going through, the season of life I'm in, the unique situations and trials I'm in. No one really understands. And if that is you tonight, what we understand about the human condition is that if you don't feel understood, your soul is in a dangerous place. Feeling misunderstood is oftentimes feeling as if you are 
unseen. Michael Schreiner says it this way, the unconscious fear that seems to always be lurking in the background is that if we aren't understood, it will be as if we never existed. When we don't feel understood, we don't feel seen. And when we don't feel seen, we wonder, do we need to be around? Alexander Hyman put it this way, home is where people notice you're not there. And so even though you may call this your church home, if there comes a time when we don't see you and no one notices, you might call this the building you go to, but you might feel spiritually homeless. As if no one can identify with you, no one can sit with you and no one understands you. Have you ever felt that feeling before? And tonight we wanna be able to talk about the sympathy of Jesus but we also wanna be able to talk about the way, at the end of our time, the way that God has set us up to be able to sympathize with one another. The primary environment that we create for that is not this. This is what you call a monologue. So I have stories and analogies to keep your attention, and I'll tell you some Greek words and all that, but I'm gonna talk, and you're gonna say amen, hopefully. Amen, right? You're going to do all that. But we're not really in a conversation. I don't really know a lot of you. I I, I try to know your name. If I say, what's up, girl? I probably forgot your name. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) If I'm doing that for a few months, just say, my name is not girl, it's Tamika. You know, whatever it is, right? But it is in an environment where you can be known. That is why we have created city groups. City groups, therefore... It is, I've found it easier to define city groups by what they're not than by defining them by what they are. Because I'll say what they are, but it's easier to say what they're not. City groups are not a Bible study, okay? And I understand, and I mean this wholeheartedly as someone who's been to seminary and who has a thirst for God's word, I understand our desire to know more about the Bible, and I want you to know more about the Bible, But the essence of Citigroup is not necessarily to learn more about the Bible. It's actually to apply the things we actually already know. So there's a good chance you know what the word holiness is and you know what it means. There's a very good chance you're not living fully holy. Amen? Like you could know what the word holiness means in the Greek, but you may not be living it out in English. Amen? So the fact of the matter is that these are environments to apply the word of God. And if application is the thrust, then that's what we're working towards. The other side of city groups is, not only is it not a Bible study, it's also not the place where you are definitively gonna find your friends. Now that's a word, because as a church that is filled with a lot of single people, there is this desire often to say, man, I'm walking into this group, this, I've, I done found my crew, you know what I'm saying? Like, what's up? And then you said, hey, let's go over to XYZ place, and only two people came, and now your feelings are hurt, and you're like, see, these aren't my friends. I want to let you know they're not, okay? They're not your friends. I hope y'all become friends, amen? I hope y'all get, I hope y'all get cool and exchange numbers, and y'all take selfies. I hope y'all do all that. But that is not the point, We're really not actually trying to be friends. We're trying to be family. And see, family is a whole different thing. You see, when you're family, 
Family puts up with one another. Family endures weird moments. And family is not about selecting a group of people that you feel like you fit into. If you could draft your family, there's a lot of people you'd be like, not, not you. My cousin, that's my cousin. He's a first round draft pick. Not y'all, you know what I mean? There's a whole lot of people you would not select if you could choose family. But what if you were placed in a family where God was putting you there and you just had to work through awkwardness? As we, as we unfold city groups, your first night may not feel like, you know, like amazing. Like, oh my gosh, this is the people. I, <laughs> that might not be the moment you've, your whole life has been waiting for. That might not be it. But maybe if you keep coming back, you, you ever have a friend that you made on a job, a person that you'd never think you'd be friends with? Like after a month of working, like, you know what? You are cool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> thought you were great, right? Because you, all it was was time and intentionality. It wasn't anything special about them. You've gone on a retreat with people. You went away for a week and you'd be like, yo, you're like my best friend. Oh my gosh. I've only known you for two days, right? And it really isn't about that person didn't just have magic. It was because we go through common things. And when we take the time to get beyond just the fickleness of how you look and how you are in a moment. When we get past coolness and we really press in, that's when our groups become alive. We have six groups that we're launching. Next semester though, I believe that this, this semester our groups are gonna be larger. Next semester, our prayer is that we would have nine groups, okay? Because we wanna reach more locations in the city you are wondering who could lead a group. You could lead a group. We are not asking you to be theologically profound. Theological profundity does not mean you're obedient. What, we are call, what we're asking for you to do is to be faithful to Jesus and to want to create an environment, a family-like environment, to discuss the word of God. Okay, so that is our desire, and that's what we're unleashing today, our, our city Group, so we pray that you would. We pray that you would be a part of that. If you could turn in your Bibles, if you have the physical Bible, to Hebrews chapter four, verse fourteen, and we're going to press into this imagery of Jesus being sympathetic towards us, knowing us, understanding us. Hebrews chapter four, for Hebrews chapter four, verse fourteen, and we also have up here on the screen. Let us read this. We're going to read this all together. The version in your hand and the version up there are the same. So we're going to read it together on three. One, two, three. Since then... So look at the last part there. He says... Think about Jesus as being your, high, your great high priest. He says, uh, let us, in light of that, 
let us hold fast our confession. In the Greek there, it is giving this imagery when he says hold fast. It is like you are holding on to something slipping out of your hand. And the reality is, is that these people at one point had a strong confession. The word confession means to say the same thing. There was a time when they would say boldly that they were walking with Jesus, loved Jesus, wanted to shout to the heavens for Jesus, but something started happening in their life persecution happened, rejection happened, and all of a sudden the confession they once had started slipping out of their life. That's why it says hold fast, hold strongly to it. So he believes, the author here believes, that what will allow them to hold fast, hold on, be strong, persevere, endure, will be knowing something about Jesus. That there's a resume that we might be looking beyond. Jesus is our great high priest. Now, as Jewish believers, they knew what a high priest was. The high priest, if you remember Moses, Moses had a brother named Aaron. And Aaron was the first high priest. Now, there were many priests, but the high priest had a very unique job description. The high priest would be able to go into the temple And for one day a year, that day would be called Yom Kippur or the day of atonement, the day that we can be reconciled back to God. And this high priest would go into this room called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was the special presence of God. It was God being able to give a part of himself in this room And there we see in this tabernacle, they would have candlesticks and showbread. And we won't go into all the details with that. We'll talk about that later. There would be these incense and altar. But right before the Holy of Holies, there would be this veil, a thick veil. And only one time a year could that priest go beyond the veil. The priest would be in there and he would light incense. The incense would be a picture of prayers to God and faithfulness to God. He would sacrifice bulls or goats and this would be a picture of the need to atone for our sins, a sacrifice for our sins. And there was one image being given that this priest was enacting when he was walking in there this one day a year, one time, All those barriers were there telling us one thing, that in ourselves as people, God was not accessible to us in our present state. We need an advocate. We need someone to go between us in order to be atoned for for the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so they had this high priest. This one day a year. And man, that must have been a great day. You just felt like, oh, here comes Yom Kippur. Ooh, all the sacrifice, great. And they would probably felt good after that because they know their sins were being taken care of. But they had to wait that whole year for that one day, for that one person. But it, it goes on to say that Jesus, he is a great high priest. And what he's done is he's passed through the heavens. It is therefore comparing how the priest 
would go into this tabernacle, go past the showbread, go past the candles, go past the veil and into the Holy of Holies. And it was saying, yes, that's what the priests had to do, the high priests. But our great high priest didn't go into a temple or a tabernacle. He actually went into heaven. He went beyond not the veil. He went into the throne room, came down to earth and went back on our behalf. He is the great high priest. He did not take the sacrifice of bulls and goats. Rather, he was the sacrifice on our behalf. He is the great high priest. And what he is trying to do is give them more confidence because they have a greater advocate. Imagine the moment you are guilty of something. I know no one has ever been guilty of anything in here. Amen, amen. But no, I have, I have, I have. I have had a moment where I saw I was, I was clinked up. Amen. But, um, but, uh, you know, and, and imagine, imagine you have this moment where you're guilty. You're guilty. You did it for whatever reason you did it. And you look over to the side and a court appointed attorney, somebody you grew up with is right there next to you. You're just like, is that, is that Johnny? What's up? What's up? Oh my God. Oh my God. This is a person, you know, you grew up with them. They're just like you. You're like, Yo, I hope you can, I hope it works out because I'm guilty, guilty. You know what I'm saying? And I need to get out, out. All right. I need your help. But all of a sudden he gets sick. And then all of a sudden that, that, that other attorney, the, the, you know, you know, the attorney with the, with the, you know, they got the billboard up there and they're 1-800-CALL-ME-IF-YOU'RE, you know what I'm saying? That attorney, he's the big dog and he comes in, he's like, I'm your, I'm your attorney. You'd be like, Okay, okay, I'm about to get out of this thing, right? Because I have a greater advocate, see? I have a greater, uh, I have someone who's going to mediate on my behalf, so I should have greater confidence. When we sin and we feel far from God, we are often forgetting the greatness of our advocate, the all that he went through on his own behalf for our behalf. Therefore, we should have more confidence to draw near because of the great advocacy of Jesus who died on our, for our behalf. Jesus, therefore, can feel distant if he passed through the heavens. He was so high. You could think to yourself, well, I have this great lawyer, this great advocator, this great mediator, but he doesn't understand me. He understands the things I go through. He can't sympathize with me. If we're honest tonight, you might believe theologically in the sympathy of Jesus, but your flesh and the devil whisper to you, he doesn't get you. No one gets you. you your sin is so jacked up, even God's like, I don't even know who, I don't even get you. And yet, he says he's so high, but he understands you. Look, look here. He says in verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He understands what he's saying. 
So you might think to yourself, well, this is the Son of God. What has the Son of God got with understanding who I am? Well, we've got to check his resume because a very good chance that we've been going through the stories about Jesus and really going past some of the things that Jesus went through. We might forget that Jesus had no easy life. It was Jesus who was born to a teenage girl living in an oppressed society as a Jewish woman under Roman oppression. As a woman, she had no rights and no power. She was not even married when she became pregnant. Furthermore, what we understand in the scriptures is that beyond the age of 12, we don't hear the name Joseph anymore. So what we understand then is Joseph, the father of Jesus, most likely died. So here you have, I grew up with a teenage mother and all of a sudden my daddy's not in the house anymore. I got no one to look to. But then you say, well, he must have grew up in a good place. No, y'all heard of Nazareth? They said Nazareth was this place that nothing good could come from. So he came from a bad place, a hard time, an oppressed society that he was in, a teenage mother. But we say, well, maybe when he got older, it got a little better. Well, you ever heard this verse, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay in that? That wasn't poetry. That was his condition. He didn't have a place to say Jesus was homeless. And the, the wild thing about Jesus is, as Jesus was doing the right thing, as he gained influence, his family kept thinking he was crazy. His family kept saying he was a fool, even though he was doing righteous things. And then the most religious were gossiping and slandering. No, you know what we mean, slander, meaning the very good things I do, you keep finding a slant to say it's bad. They were malicious intent everywhere he went. And then at the height of me trying to do the right thing, you know, we all have friends, but then you got those close friends. You have, you have your tribe. Well, one of Jesus' friends, the, the 12 friends he would rock with all the time. You've ever had a friend betray you? This was a little bit different than betrayal. See, he sold him. Imagine a friend selling you. Oh, how much for chump change? He sold him for pocket change. And all the while, he had done nothing wrong. I think if we look at Jesus' resume, he's been through some things. I think he can relate to your weakness. I think he could understand pain. I think he's got a good resume to understand pain because at the height of him doing the right thing, he was considered a criminal. But then we have to pause, and if we're, if we're being honest, but Jesus, you truly understand me? You understand the miscarriage that I had? You understand the abortion that I went through? You understand what it's like for my friends to laugh at me? You understand what it's like to be someone trying to get a job and they read my name and they discount me? Do you understand what that's like? Does Jesus really understand the chemo treatment that I've been through? You understand? I mean, I get it, I get it. I get what the text is saying, but you're saying you truly can sympathize with the weaknesses of this world. Well, it goes on. 
And it says not only can he sympathize, but that he was tempted. He was tempted to fall into anxiety. He was tempted to live in fear. He was tempted to doubt. He was tempted and yet did not sin. So if Jesus was tempted and yet did not sin, that means that temptation and sin are two different things. That temptation might be the entryway to sin, but it is not the destination I have to go. Temptation, and to fight against temptation, is what we call the struggle. Okay? This is when we're struggling. It's when we, I just don't want to do right. I, I just don't want to do right. It's a struggle, right? And what we understand is there have been times when you've struggled and you've been victorious. Amen? Amen. Woo. But then there have been times when you've struggled and you failed. When you wanted to have faith, but you lived in fear. When you, when you wanted to be obedient, but you found yourself longing and lusting, and you just said to yourself, man, I just, I deserve this, and you failed. Jesus does not know sin from an experiential standpoint, but he knows the struggle. And part of this, sometimes don't believe that Jesus ever struggled. You ever, if you're ever in the gym you ever, uh, you ever know these people, they're, they're yellers? You ever meet the yellers? Yes. Praise God for the yellers. They've got, they got like a gallon of water right there and the headband. They sweat a lot. But, they, but whatever they're doing, they yell. Praise God. And, you know, they get, right? And you're just like, okay, all right. You're killing them, <laughs> right? Like the yellers, the yellers are giving their all, right? And then there's a point where you, can, you know when the yeller fails. Everyone in the gym knows when they fail. <laughs> one more, one more. Oh, God, I can. They're just like praying for you, bro, <laughs> right? And what we know about the human condition is that no matter how strong you are physically, there is an amount of weight that you will fail. But if we were to use this analogy in the sense of Jesus, yes, Jesus is so strong that there's no weight. He will never fail. But he does. Jesus knows the struggle. And if Jesus knows the struggle, then when I'm struggling, why am I running away from Jesus? If Jesus knows the struggle, then I should, I, I, I should be able to know that Jesus says, I know. I know. I, yes, I, I haven't failed but I know what it's like to feel failure welling up. I know the want to of sin. And though he never sinned. 
The beauty of this, uh, it says in Luke 22, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat became drops of blood, like drops of blood. This was when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. And what does he say? Not my will, but your will be done. You see this in Luke 22, Jesus going back and forth with not wanting to do what is sacrificial because he didn't want the pain because obedience always has a cost. It has a price tag. And the greater the thing you want to do for God, the higher the price tag. And sometimes, sometimes our natural addiction to comfort will draw us away from the great thing that God has called you to do. Sometimes it is not that God has not called you to do what is great. Sometimes you just don't want to pay the price of sacrifice. Well, who was like that? Jesus! Jesus is in the garden and he's, you don't need to know Greek. Jesus is like, I don't want to go to the cross. <laughs> right? Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus is like, I'm not, I don't want to die. I don't, I don't want the nail. Like, I know we talked about it a long time ago, but it's here now and I'm not feeling it. So he's literally like, is there another way? Do we have other options? Is there a plan B? God. But he's like, uh, well, there's probably not, so okay. So we're going we gonna to do this. Okay, we're going to do this. And I am going to give my life for everybody. So I just want to encourage you, those of you that want to do great things for God, if you are doing it for personal benefit but not the long-term effect, you will be bitter every step you take on the Calvary Road. But if you, if you, like Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, you will endure the pain, the shame, the trial of human beings in the midst of doing great things for him. No great task for God does not come without a great price. That was all for free. I didn't mean to do that. Okay, so, so but, here's, but here is what, so, so Jesus knows the struggle. He says in verse 16 then, let us then... In light of all this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love that the author is being so honest with us. Because he says, the expression of believing that Christ is this great high priest really comes down to, do you really call on him in the time of need? You see, the the throne that he's talking about is the throne of grace. Think about when you've needed the most grace. Think about the, the time when you were just like, I am totally guilty. I am totally wrong. I am totally weak. And I need grace right now. And the temptation of our souls in the time we need it the most is to try to in some way think in ourselves, man, I, I, maybe I can do something. And maybe, I, maybe God's tired. But, but, but maybe in this moment, you begin to think, maybe God is done because what we see is the, the throne of grace, but it feels like a throne of justice. 
that I'm going to go before this judge and he's going to declare me guilty. And I walk in front of him and I put on my fig leaves and I just feel this shame before him. And so he says the real expression of knowing that I believe that there is no trial, no temptation that could ever presume to get me to think that God is too far away is that I would draw near in that very moment the fear creeps in, the very moment after temptation, after I sin, I would run to Jesus because he knows the struggle as opposed to running away. And the word there, confidence, some of you have it translated boldness. I would draw with boldness. Now, the word boldness means unrestrained speech. I know y'all are all very dignified people, amen? And I know y'all always talk with your words very measured and you say all the right things. I know y'all are like that. <laughs> but, I, but I also know, here's what I know about you. You've had some unedited moments. Yeah, you got, you got a couple friends that get the unedited you. Yeah. Yeah, they get the unedited you. They get the Straight no chaser you, amen? Yeah, they get, they get all of you and you're not trying to put yourself in a position to look right because these people know everything about you. So you don't have to come across a certain way. You don't have to look a certain way. You're like, listen, you know me. Listen, I acted a fool. You know I'm not a fool, but this was foolish. And I, and I can tell you everything because I have the confidence that you will still love me. In fact, my weaknesses will draw us closer. My transparency won't draw me, won't, won't, won't cause you to run away from me. My transparency will create more trust. There'll be more depth. I'll feel more real in front of you. We'll get deeper, unrestrained, unedited. And it is in this moment that you have to ask yourself, have I been performing with the one person that's not impressed with my performance? That wants not the edited performing me. He does not want me on stage. He wants the real me. And he wants me in the very moment of my weakness. It is in these moments that God is able to be fully sympathetic with us. And I want to encourage you, you know, my wife and I, I was, I was telling her about, I was counseling this guy one time. He was newly married. And this is actual conversation. Man, I just feel like my wife, she doesn't get me. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, I need somebody, like, when I talk, they need to understand me. I'm like, that should, that's, that's good. You should want that. Here's the other thing. Like, I'm like always explaining myself. Sometimes I don't want to always explain. You know what I'm saying? Like I want her to like already know. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I do. I get it. So like, here's the other thing. Like sometimes like I'm just like, like I'll, be, I'll, I'll hit her up during the day and she's like busy. And I'm like, you're not there for me. And I'm just like, feel you, feel you, feel you. And it's just like, you know, like 
I'm just like going through all these things. And I'm just like, when I got married, I just thought it would be just us. And like, we would just totally get one another. And I just, so like, what's the problem, pastor? And I'm just like, well, the desires you have are real. You want Jesus, right? She's not Jesus. Jesus is available. She is not him. And you are not him. And if you all can first realize who is Jesus and who's not, that'll be very beneficial to your marriage. But it'll also be beneficial to your friendships. Because if you're honest, honest tonight, you've had some moments even with your close friend. Because people be funny. I'd be like, aren't y'all close? He'd be like, well. <laughs> right? And this is, all, this is all I'm just trying to say. Just hear me out. Maybe you've given them a job description they were never meant to fulfill. <laughs> you know, in Latin, there is sympathy, there is empathy, and there is apathy. Sympathy is I can run into this emotion and understand you. Empathy is there's an emotional distance, meaning I've got to try to understand you. But apathy is I have no emotion. Ah, pathos. I just don't get you. None of us want to share with someone who is ah, pathos, who does not understand us. But only one can be sympathos, fully understanding us, and that's Jesus. All of us are really just trying to figure each other out. Some do it better, some fake it, right? But all of us are trying to figure each other out. I want to say that as we enter into city groups this year, think then about what it means for us to be empathizing with one another and drawing near to the one sympathizer for us all, the only one that can truly understand us. 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Do you, did you catch that? That we are a priesthood, that no longer do we need a priest. Let me preach for a second. Amen? What the Bible says is that when Jesus Christ died on that cross, something powerful started to happen. You remember that veil that I showed you in the Holy of Holies? The Bible says it was torn down. And what it says is that we now have access into the Holy of Holies, that all of us can now draw near to God, that we don't need a high priest or a priest, but our advocate Jesus dies so that we now have access to God. Therefore, the tabernacle and the temple. It is not in this building. We are that temple. And we now are carriers of the presence of God. When you were growing up, some of you, some of you grew up like I did. I grew up with ushers, urshes. Mm -hmm. Grew up with urshes. And there, there was always like that nasty usher. I, she was going through something. She was just going through something in life. But 
Their only job was to make sure I made it into the sanctuary and had a seat. That was their role. And honestly, the ones that had the worst attitude thought they were something they really weren't. The only job was to get me into the sanctuary. And the imagery that we have as priests of one another is that we are to be ushers to the sympathizer that we carry the presence of God and yet we are ushering people into the presence of God. And tonight, I just want you to know this as the pastor of this church, you would be surprised at how radically lonely some of the people in this church feel. You would be shocked how radically depressed some people are in this church. How much intense anxiety some people feel in this church. That when it comes to benevolence, meaning the money that we set aside to help people out, the majority of that money does not go to like rent, it goes to mental health. Because in this room, to your left and to your right are people who feel alone. And we create these environments so that we could be priests for one another, that we could usher people in front of the sympathizer. And so I pray tonight that, I'm not just talking about city groups. Maybe you can go, maybe you can't, I don't know. But I pray that you would understand your role as a carrier of God's presence, that you would usher people into the presence of God. But you would not usher people as a priest without recognizing what the great high priest has done for you, that you would draw near, that you would be drawing near to God so often that like Moses, there would be the glory on you. And I'm praying that tonight, that for some of you, tonight is a milestone, that in the depth of your sin, you stopped letting your sin, you stop letting your failure intimidate you from getting close to Jesus. But instead, you drew near. You had unrestrained speech and you cried out to God in the midst of your pain and your weakness. I wonder if you'd stand with me tonight. We are gonna have a time of communion and then we are going to have a time where we pray. And I pray that tonight that you would remember your confidence. I pray that tonight you would draw near to God. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that during this moment that we are just remembering the beauty of the cross. I pray that we would remember that we can draw near to this God. He sympathizes with us, that he draw near to us and we would draw near to him. And I pray, God, that we would just carry your presence to this world, to those that are feeling lost and alone, to those that are walking into classrooms, those that are walking into jobs and they have this great burden. I pray that they would call on the one who can sympathize with us. Whatever burden you have, I pray that you would hear from heaven. I know. I understand. I know. I understand. I understand. Oh, I understand what you're going through.
Heavenly Father, just give us more confidence tonight. In Jesus' name. If the communion would come. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.